everybody. Welcome to the program. We're so glad to be back. We're having a lot of fun here. My main man, Graham, and I, we, we did not experience Barbenheimer together, but I'm sure we'll be going to some movies. Uh, but anyway, I've been watching a lot of movies thanks to this podcast, and we're excited to bring you another episode of Soundcheck Flicks. Uh, the movies have been everything from comedy to very, very unusual, some science fiction, and this one is tied into suburbia, so indirectly, kind of crazy. Uh, uh, so cool. We're going to do 1984 film Repo Man. I got Graham here, and we have Mikey Turry. How hey, are you, hey, Mikey hey. Turry? Uh, I'm doing fantastic, guys. Yeah, I'm doing real good. Mr. Wild. Another day in paradise. Yeah, Wild Wild Wets, the San Diego Freakout. You've been a San Diego resident for how many years? It's almost 20. I'm working. I'm almost there. You're semi-local, coming yeah. from the East Coast. 20 is official, I think. New Jersey? Yeah, where were you? from Hawthorne, New Jersey. Hawthorne, New Jersey. Yep, little town. And, uh, and the cool thing is, is... This film is a big part of what gets you to Southern California. Yeah. yeah. An influence, an it's inspiration. I'm sure it's part of it, yeah. Graham, when did you first see this film? Uh, I was a kid. It was a late-night HBO movie because okay. um, it was R, and at that time, HBO really stuck to that. They wouldn't play anything rated R earlier in the day. Okay, yeah, So yeah. my mom would go to bed at like 10 because she had to get up early in the morning, and so as soon as she went to bed, it was on. Like it was turn it over to the fuzzy HBO channel that we didn't pay for, but it came in on our cable anyway. <laughs> and I would watch Repo Man all the time. And it just got ingrained into me. Like, I just love this movie. I'm so happy we're doing it. I mean, the two films, Repo Man and Suburbia, were really one of the, the first films to kind of properly represent um, a punk rocker. I mean, it was so outside of what we'd seen on uh, network television, which still right. we well, could... in rock and roll high school had done it before, but it was very happy and chirp, you know, the peppy, punk, the and it was of, different punks. Yeah, was the punks of the seventies were such a two. different thing, you know. Yeah. Like nobody was really wearing leather and spikes, and I mean, it was starting to happen. Uh, but yeah, by the by the eighties, you know, the all of that was in full force. But Strangely, probably, you know, more so on the coast, not in the Midwest and other parts of America. But, um, you know, definitely I was into a, a subculture in the 80s myself, you know. Right. I was trying to emulate something that went on in the 60s in the UK, you know. But um, There weren't enough mods in, in this movie for me, but there were some mods we're gonna in get this to movie. That. I'm going to ask you about them yeah. down the line. So what was it, Mikey, that made you just fall in love with this movie when you first saw it? Well, uh, yeah, growing up in... Hawthorne, New Jersey, it's pretty small, yeah. and uh, there is no access to, like, anything, especially back in, you know, the late 80s and 90s, no access to anything fun, and punk was, ex anything punk was extremely limiting, because I had, like, Sam Goody, and there was only maybe two record stores that, if I was lucky, I could get a ride to. Right. Uh, then, and then, uh, but I had my skate friends, so they gave me mixtapes, and that's how I got, like, into Black Flag and the Misfits, and... All that and then this movie and suburbia uh were both given to me by my friend bob at the time um him or my friend mike and then i would just make uh dubs i had like <laughs> I, I was like a real weird kid with like electronics so i would like put all the stuff together and see what would happen sure uh make, you'd make copies for friends yeah i'd make copy for copies for friends but i would like re-edit skate videos if i didn't like the music uh -huh. i would like plug my own music in and do <laughs> i would do like a lot of weird stuff like that but i have yeah, I still have, like, a collection of all these dubs. So I had, like, Suburbia and Repo Man. And, yeah, those were, like, my ways of getting out. Sure. You know, of, like, seeing Southern California, punk rock. Uh, yeah, all of that culture that I was not, that was not happening in It had the Star Wars area. effect on you. It was a yeah. galaxy far, far away. Big time. <laughs> Big time. Absolutely. Yeah. And all the skate videos I was watching, too, it's the same thing. Like, all yeah. of that was just... The impact was, of those videos across the country not only just for that what you see like oh man southern california I and mean, they're mostly shot here but then the music that people were introduced i mean that's just like the tony hawk pro skater you know that yeah, made mean, those bands bigger than they ever were in their time so skate some videos cases. were definitely my f biggest uh, outlet for new music for sure yeah that crazy yeah. i mean just exposure to something cool that you relate as cool and then you know that the music's cool and uh, you know, I don't know. It's hard to find that stuff now. It's hard to, to decipher through all the. Was the soundtrack like so much? Was the soundtrack immediately immediately a part of your life? Uh, no, not yeah. not not immediately. Yeah, it wasn't uh, for just, me either. Just the movie. Just I liked yeah. I liked everything that was going on in the movie. I didn't realize that the theme was Iggy Pop until until yeah. I got 
until I bought the soundtrack. Yeah. I w- and you know what I mean? Or like, I, I mean, it says it too, but I don't think I ever even read it. Yeah. You know, that whole um, intro scene when I was young, I was like, yeah. there's a lot going well, on. Well, that here. makes it really cool too, <laughs> that we love the movie anyway, because as kids, we weren't even really into the music so much. We were into this crazy story about this car with a nuke in the trunk. And, and you know, the music came later. And, th- and that's kind of cool, too, because it, then it has a second life with us. We're like, oh, holy shit, this movie is not only super cool as far as this story and the people who are in it, Harry Dean, but we get this amazing soundtrack that we overlooked before. But now we realize it's pretty damn awesome. Yeah, like the circle jerks are in the movie. Like, I didn't realize that that was them at first. And then the song on the soundtrack is like their song, but the version. But they're they in the do, bar band that's kind of. Yeah. Slowly doing the when the shit through. hits the fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They say that and there Rodney might be the in there. Branch. I don't know. Rodney's in that Rodney scene. Has a scene. He's the club he's, manager. He's, he's sitting, at the sitting at the bar. At the bar, which I just it goes by so fast. So is I that didn't... the Silver Lake Lounge? They say no. it might be. I'm not sure. I know that they film, they film the uh, scene where um, Archie gets a. Uh, the planes. The planes. There yeah. The planes. Uh, the, the scene planes. where Archie. Uh, but I don't even know what the word would be, um, you know, gets burnt up by the... Uh, oh, well, yeah, when they're the running bomb. away from stealing uh, pills and they're trying to find a ride and he, they take that car and then... Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's trying to get the car back and then, like, I and don't know, whatever. He gets in the argument with the that two of them. That parking lot and... is, is like the Silver Lake Lounge parking lot. Okay. So I don't, and it's like right after that scene. So I don't I've know been if all over that the, br- the bridge area, those oh, the, yeah. the, that area of Los Angeles. So cool. I've driven down into the the concrete L.A. riverbed. That same nice. little you can Terminator it's always 2. open. Oh, blood it's in, blood out. Grease. Wow, I, yeah. that's always my vision totally. is, the, is the race in Greece. But yeah, it's been in a lot of movies. Now they've got a, an amazing new bridge they've just built there. Yeah. that's like popping up in commercials and everything. Anyway. Good stuff. Good oh, stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. He's reviewing his notes. You have notes as well. I have so many notes. So yeah. many notes. Just because I didn't want to forget all the I mean, there's all the little details. Do, there's there's the, a lot of details. Let's do the soundtrack while we're here. Let's just get it out of the way. Okay. So right. the soundtrack actually helped out the movie in a big way because the movie came out and Universal was in a bit of a shift at the time. They were changing heads of, you know, that were running the company. And they didn't believe in this movie. And so that's why the movie kind of had trouble when it came out. And they released it regionally and it didn't do well. And so it, it's sitting there and then the soundtrack starts gathering steam. And then a re-release comes along because the soundtrack gathers that much steam. And they re-release it into theaters. And it does better that time. Like, this so is th- an actually properly released punk mixtape. Yeah. Which, so this, this is a great, yeah. great, you know, it's a great moment where a soundtrack saved a movie. Like... And it's so, like uh, the Rodney on the Rock compilations he used to put out on vinyl were phenomenal and, and similar to this lineup on this yeah on the playlist here of Repo Man. You know? So I mean, let's go down the lineup here. You got Iggy Pop doing the main theme song, and that he says that like revitalized him as a musician. He was in a bad spot. Yeah, I mean, like they gave him that opportunity, and he with like he no was deep in drug drug addiction at the time. Yeah, think of him in the '80s. You know, it's probably kind of in a yeah. A, little bit of a downward spiral so I think it worked point. out for both of them oh, yeah. um, to yeah. get him at, at that time and for him to have that opportunity he they didn't give him any parameters so he just did whatever he wanted and uh, that song is and awesome he had seen the movie so he includes in the lyrics if you're listening close he includes some of the details of the movie because he had actually seen it when he uh, wrote it so that was pretty cool uh, circle jerks we got coup d'etat when the shit hits the fan we got fear with let's have a war institutionalized suicidal I mean, that song. The epic TV party from Black Flag. And then we got the plugs and the burning sensations rounding it all out. And there's even a little Louis Armstrong and Andrews sisters thrown in there for yeah, good measure. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's a, it's a great soundtrack. Several from the plugs. Yeah. Plugs yeah, they did like the uh, soundtrack. So, like, all, like, the cool, like, uh, western-y guitar yeah, western stuff. Science, That's the plugs, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The cars rolling down the street and all that. Yeah, which... Right after he, Emilio Estevez sings TV Party and like slams his beer, that guitar comes in like so perfectly there. Jefferson's! Yeah. Gilligan's Island! (laughs) So good. Uh, That's a good one, especially that Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Which I I love that version. I've DJed this song many, many times. It's probably the most worn out song on that (laughs) that record. Um, But I didn't know when I was, you know, 13, whatever, 14, when I got the, when I first saw the movie. Uh, that it was uh, a cover. I didn't realize. I didn't know who Jonathan Richmond was yeah. at the time. So you know that was much to my surprise when I heard and his version pretty- and was like, you know, my mind was blown. 
Yeah, when did the Modern Lovers release that? I wonder. Probably in the 70s. Late so 70s, I would assume, oh, okay. you know, yeah, because I believe it is a Modern Lovers. Yeah, it is a Modern Lovers Jonathan Richmond song. So, yeah, it would be like pretty early 70s. The question is the weirdest thing about this film is that there's a monkey involved. Oh, Mike Nesmith. Mike yeah. Nesmith. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's yes. a monkey. Yeah, we were <laughs> thinking real Simeon Brothers. I was ready for that, and I'm still, I was, uh, still got Nesmith my Michael Nesmith produced yeah. it. He had a deal with uh, Universal where he would put up the money for it and then uh, basically drop the film off to him with a receipt, and they'd pay him the money for whatever it cost. I and, mean, that's really cool. you got to love that a little guardian but angel. But they also, well, also what happened, though, was guardian the people monkey. that made that deal from Universal left, and so the new <laughs> people, when he delivered the film weren't so thrilled uh, like, yeah that's right that's right the changeover happens yes yeah plate of shrimp and then it pops up on the Sorry. window outside the phone booth i was gonna bring you guys a plate of shrimp were you gonna bring me a plate yeah of shrimp? i'm all about the visual gags here <laughs> just uh, keep us going let's just talk about that briefly the generic labeling on everything right. everything everything was just phenomenal and at the time that was like a thing, you know, do they even still do that anymore? I mean, they just, it's like Safeway brand stuff now, you know what now, I mean? That's you know, what it is. But I didn't realize at the time because I was born in 1982. Sure. Uh, that, <laughs> 82, uh, that that was actual food. So like, I yep. thought that that was just a choice. No. Yeah. Because like, even um, like, what is it? And they live when he's got the glasses on. Yeah. That's the same thing with like, you can see all the aliens and, yeah. and all the food is that, and it's just consu- all the food is the yep. generic food. So I always thought that that was this like anti-consumer like punk rock like fuck you like kind of thing and uh no i was completely wrong it's just old it was old food that they just they couldn't get branding so they just they but they were somebody from ralph's like gave them access to old food okay to use for the movie and it's so aesthetically amazing that 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 packaging existed back then yeah so white packaging and it would just say milk or whatever yeah like, but they didn't have beer. I don't think there was generic No, there wasn't beer. beer. They took it a step further <laughs> yeah. on that okay. one. And there's a point where it just says food. Yeah, yeah. 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 They took the it can of yeah. food. I mean, he's eating that big tin at his parents' house or watching yep. the religious leaders smoking weed. They've given all their money away. Yep. Uh, Whatever's in that can. He's like, he's really... Just food. He's what, like what scraping around. You can tell he's like eating. He's doing his lines, but it must be... It's like dog food. There. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, real. It's just sound, the, the sound effect is definitely a dog food can. Um, yeah. yeah, the um, so as so there's obviously he's making a statement about consumerism with that. Um, but Alex, is he? I thought you just said that that it, was like no, no, a, he is. He a, is a choice that he made. It was you know, kind of they, they didn't have a. It was a choice. I guess they could have done something else. But um, here's where we know it's a choice, and I'll prove it. As we go through the movie. Uh, when so when we go into the market at the beginning of the movie, there's only a certain section yes. that has that. Yeah. The other ones still have regular labels. Right. By the time we get to the final showdown, where there's all the gunplay in there and Duke dies and and Bud gets shot and everything, everything in the room is white by then. Uh, so watch for that next time you're yeah. watching it. It gets worse as the movie goes on. It spreads throughout the market. People it just works? calling They're them better. up and just know. saying like, oh, oh, yeah. I, li- I like it? that. The, 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 you know, my the message fa- about consumerism. My favorite one on the generic labels is when they go into the club and uh, Duke throws the nitrate onto the table and King Archie and Debbie start snuff it, sniffing it on the table. Yeah. The little bottle is rolling there, and it's a generic label on it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. Is that anal nitrate? What was that? Yeah, it said something. It said something nitrate, okay. and I was just laughing. I was like, "Oh God!" Even the drug bottle is generic. Yeah. The John Cusack movie, uh, One Crazy Summer. Okay. You know that one? I oh, I love that one. I love that movie. Uh, so good. He graduates from generic high school, and the banner is the same thing. It has like the blue stripe, <laughs> and it's the same font and everything. Which I, I that's another hilarious little nod to generic food yeah yeah that was a, a it's just a little subtle touch about the whole movie but obviously they take it to a level and it, it right when it, you see like the opening scene where you see emilio and um what's his name uh Miguel. His, his real name the, oh, kevin otto. kevin oh. and otto oh yeah um at the supermarket, yeah. at the supermarket and they're the stacking the peas and all the food is behind them and everything like immediately i was drawn right in there. and the seven up song <laughs> Yeah, I was, was drawn right in. What's that? Yeah. What is he singing? No, he's singing, up, singing. Uh, he's singing the jingle from Seven Up yeah. at the time, which was like that feeling Seven, seven up, up, I'm feeling Seven Up. up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, then that's what I would I, just uh, when I would be like sweaty and skateboarding and stuff, I would like sing that song. It would just pop in my head. I don't know why. <laughs> and then Otto's like, my friends. Yeah. Well, shut up. Yeah, he pushes him through the cans. <laughs> that I guess they say that a character or maybe just uh, what's his real name? Xander. Xander. Schloss. Xander. You interviewed him recently, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us something. I mean, it's it's pertinent to this. Did he say anything about did the, the Napoleon Dynamite thing? <laughs> no, I, mean, well, I I tried. Yeah, that's what yeah, he did look like. He was the first Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, they say like that's like was the basis. I mean, I don't know. I guess everybody I who's involved in the movie swears. So I don't know if it's factual or not that right. they say like that's the basis. That or, character was the yeah. basis of Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know. I love I love when he's dealing with the brothers at the gas station. And he does that dorky, like, uh, who loves you, baby, or whatever, however he, like, responds. But right. uh, Xander was cool. You know, he's in the Circle Jerks, obviously, so he's uh, They all got to be in the movie. In That's the, very fun. The, is he on stage in the band then? You know, during that scene as well, I would wonder. assume so. But if I think they're a little dressed. They're like wearing yeah, suits, but I think they're they might be in wigs too. That's another thing I was thinking. He was doing a lot of other stuff on the film set, like, you know, behind the scenes stuff, like filling in as a you know roadie kind of guy doing he's other the shit. They, he did whatever they wanted him to do. Like, I mean, I just called him Kevin the Nerd when I started the interview, <laughs> and he's all, oh, "We're going to start off with that." And then I went into the interview and talked about um, his new music. He has solo music. Uh, it's kind of Baroque pop. It's very oh. interesting. But the cool thing is, is it's uh, Blind Owl Records that is putting it out. Uh, Dan Sarantis from um, Chess Fever and uh, Oh, how fun is that? You know, his little world is doing that. So Xander uh, has a San Diego connection, and I actually mentioned our podcast to him. So nice. maybe we can get him on in the future, dude. If he wanted to come on and do Repo Man Part Two, it's not like we're not going to do it. I There's mean, lots to say. This movie's incredible. We could talk another hour about it. Kevin is in the back. You see Kevin in the background of the um, of the scene where they come at, uh, they come for Otto's old boss. Is you he, know when they like he he gives them the wrong name to yes. go to so go beat Otto up a guy that beat up. him up. Yeah. Yeah, so Otto gets beat up and his homies at the at the you know the place want to know who did it and he says his old boss. Yes. Yeah, instead him. of the guys who really did it which was the untouchables. Yeah. The ska band. So when they go to like get him if you like I see the person in the background. He, that's Kevin. He's just like it's it's like obviously so that's part of the myth it's of the movie. Re- like, why is he there? Yes. What does that guy? Is, is he he's there doing a lot of weird stuff for money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. They they established that throughout the movie. Right, right, right. It's kind of like so. Even though Otto was doing this maliciously to his old boss, it's kind of like he probably deserved it. Because what the hell is Kevin doing there in his pajamas in your house? Yeah. Like, I did a little bit of research, so they say that the seven the seven up song is yeah. playing in the background. Uh, yeah. I just watched the movie again, and I you can barely hear it. Barely hear it. I mean, okay, yeah. I heard it's there too, but I didn't hear it either. But that's pretty good. Cat. I was doing some research, and then I, I I was telling people I was doing this movie, and everybody had little. So why is Kevin there? Is there like a real we don't know. Who's to say? But groveling he's in pajamas. For, Graham, groveling for new job, potentially being molested. We don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's there though, and then he gets beat up by the guys. He, yeah. They beat him up too, because then we see him on the gurney at the hospital oh, later yeah. on, all fucked up. Like oh, that's right. So, so Bud and the boys went to work on Kevin's nerd. That's ass right. They too. don't really explain that, but that's funny. Yeah, and he almost he almost opens the trunk at one point, so mm-hmm. he almost yep. got really. I love when they up. they lift because he's he's got the the sheet over his head like he's dead in the hospital, mm-hmm. right? And and Otto, Otto. lifts it up, <laughs> and he's like, Otto. <laughs> And that's Alex Cox in the gas station scene with him. Uh, it's I think it's Xander's sister is the third gas attendant. Okay. But Alex Cox is definitely the one sitting there with yeah. him. Um, let's just segue right into Alex here. Uh, let's talk about Alex. He he was the guy at the right place at the right time. It was one of those situations. Like he's he's from England. He's going to Oxford. He's clearly a brilliant guy, and he just kind of looks around himself, and he's like. The industry here sucks for film. I can't make the stuff I want to do. I need to go to L.A. And he, uh, think about what it took for him right at that moment, 75 or 76. Like, he's he's in the heart of the most legendary punk scene in history. And he pieces out on it. But, it, but he goes to L.A., he enrolls in UCLA Film School, and he's there for the birth of the L.A. scene. And so he's there for all of that. So he kind of got Tries both of it, I mean, right, right. as much of it as he could. Yeah, it's but kinda... he'd seen it building in the UK first, so he knew he knew what was going to happen a little bit. Like he knew he should probably capture 
he sure capitalized on magic. it and he was the guy at the right place at the right time because he had that punk rock pedigree he comes out of film school and it's like you know penelope's doing the same thing with suburbia and it's like you know i'm gonna make this movie somehow and we're gonna guerrilla style do it and we'll make it happen i mean it's cool like at the time too i guess universal it wasn't the universal that we know now so they were like yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, here's a go, check go for eight hundred yeah. thousand, and then you get somebody like Michael Nesmith to uh, back you up, right? Um, and then you know, also on this, so Alex Cox calls in. This is really cool because he calls in this guy Robbie Mueller to shoot the film because I think he's really important to mention because Repo Man looks the way it does because of that director of photography. The way he shoots everything makes L.A. just looks like this, like wasteland mm -hmm. uh, this urban wasteland and that's because of robbie moeller now what's really cool about robbie moeller is he turns right around and does this la trifecta so he drops repo man which which is one of the better looking la movies turns right around and does paris texas which for anyone who hasn't seen that also stars harry dean stanton but a lot of it is not in texas it's in la and there's a very cool way he shoots la in that movie and then boom right after that he does to live and die in la which is just another really cool looking L.A. movie. So I was like, he drops these three legendary, you know, L.A. style films all in a row. And then he goes, I think he worked for Wim Wenders after that or whatever. But Did he film all of those similar? Is that like his like they, yeah, signature Yeah, if you watch those look, three movies, they all have wide. this cool style to them. And it's, it's, it's his style. And he's, it fits L.A. so well. Like, and that's I why think I, To Live and Die in L.A. is like the premier film to watch to hmm. like, Think of L.A. at that time, that place, and just the imagery, the, the, the way they make the city look. Yeah. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. It's got and this little love letter. Wayne Chung does the soundtrack. Yes. I have a 45 of the song, To Live and Die, die in, in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> to Live and Die in L.A. I like when uh, Bud and Otto are rolling down there near the beginning, and uh, Bud's kind of explaining to him the, you know, the lifestyle, and they roll by the Orpheum. Yes. And, and you see, what's the movie on the screen? You remember? Staying Alive. It's staying Alive, oh, yeah. baby. That's right. Saturday I was Night just Fever. on that block because that's like the main Broadway drag in downtown LA. That's the Ace Theaters right down the block from there. Oh, yeah. Yep. A really pretty Apple Chipper store now. somewhere down there as well. A little different. Yes. Uh, depending on the angles you're looking at. Yes. But it's cool to see that. I love, I just love seeing, you know, that, you know, like a city, you know, it's a love letter to the city or whatever. Yeah, like what... seeing places too that I've gone to and, and been at and, and maybe gone for another movie, actually. But then you watch another movie, and like, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Now there's more reasons why I went to the L.A. Riverbed. It's also because Harry Dean Stanton and Otto, uh, I mean, Estevez are driving down there. And they get in a race down in that same place where the Grease Lightning has a race as well. It's very Did they ride high. up the sides? Yes. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I think they both did. Blue Thunder was driving the helicopter. Roy Scheider was rolling the helicopter That's down in there. One. I just saw, I remember I came on last night when I was sitting at home and I was like, holy shit, Roy Scheider's flying a helicopter through those canals. It's crazy. They wouldn't let him do that today. No, no fucking way. <laughs> yeah, wow. But yeah, seeing all that and uh, yeah, it's all in the urban decay of, uh, you know, the industrial parts of LA. It seems like where most of that film is shot. Yeah, there's a lot of that side of la yeah i still love that bridge so, all, all that bridge is in it a lot you know yeah it seems to be like a few bridges there's yeah. like it's like a series kind of them. centrally in that area yeah. and then in the arts there's a few areas in the arts district yes. that you can see it's they crazy. like film arts outside district. of like where they film like uh patty's pub and it's always sunny oh, okay that, <laughs> okay that's like where uh frank parnell like when he like finally pulls off on the side of the road you know he's he's him and Otto, or Otto gets in the car uh -huh. After he's chasing him, he like yeah. lets him in and he's explaining him to him the neutron bomb. And then he like starts to like feel a little crazy and passes out. And that's like where he like dies, I guess. That's yeah. like the last, right. the next time you see him, they're like burning him yeah. on that, on, that him on the bench. Jimmy Buffett's the there bench. torching him. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> is that Jimmy Buffett? It so. is totally true. Okay. Jimmy Buffett is one of the blonde agents and he specifically is in the scene where they're burning Jay Frank, Frank Parnell oh. on the bus stop mind blown right you did all that Jimmy, research mr margaritaville yeah i know right Come, yeah. let me check my notes here. i saw in the credits i'm like okay well he was a friend of mike nesmith's and he just wanted to come get in on the fun sure, yeah sure. why not <laughs> why not yeah why not you want to burn this guy and uh, yeah exactly. in the arts district torch him the funniest thing about jay frank parnell that that i love is that the uh the guy that played him uh fox harris did not know how to drive a car huh. perfect 
Yeah. There you go. Isn't oh. that pretty funny? Because that's what he's doing the whole time is driving, driving the car. Yeah. But he couldn't drive. All the scenes where you see, you know, they're always from a distance. It's actually Alex Cox behind the wheel. And uh, then they just do the close-up ones with, with Fox. They would film those. And <laughs> a trailer I, or whatever. That makes yeah. sense. In the very beginning shot, when they the uh, cop pulls him over, you can tell it's not the same guy. Yeah, it's from not. It's Alex. Yeah. He's driving. <laughs> Like once again, the gorilla style. I love it. Like you yeah. just, if you can't find somebody to do it, you jump in there and do it DIY, yourself. Yeah, why, man? Yeah. Yep. When I was young, I thought that was Dennis Hopper. I thought I could have swore it was, and then I like had to like check the the first time I watched it, and I was like telling my friend, I was like, "You're wrong," I and then I was like, "Oh no." I swear his name came up in the bud casting. I want to say I read that somewhere that Dennis Hopper's name came up, but that he was, you know, at that time he was still Couldn't in his drug it. phase and just wasn't reliable. And you could see I mean, him the other in guy, Satin role. The other guy kills it. Oh, Harry I mean, Dean Stanton's yeah. incredible. Oh, yeah. Let's just fucking do it right now. I'm going to write a love letter to Harry Dean, man. I <laughs> Seriously, right now. So as a kid, uh, I remember Harry Dean from a lot of TV shows when I was growing up. He, he was just in the, you know, by the time we got to the 70s, all the 60s TV shows were in reruns on TVs, and you'd just see his face all the time. Yeah. And he was in Cool Hand Luke. So he was just this recognizable everyman. And that's the thing about Harry Dean. He was a real everyman. Like everyone could relate to that guy. He looked like the guy that lived next door. He talked like him. And I think that's what made him special. And then, so I'm seeing this guy's face all the time when I was a kid. And then, boom, he pops up an alien. Oh my God. That movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. And Harry Dean was a part of that. Like, and so we would go, f you know, a few years later. What really got to me was, was, was he, he, in the 80s, he went into this dad phase where, Paris, Texas, and Red Dawn, and Pretty in Pink. He's playing dads, right. and he's playing real sympathetic dads that you really, you know, you care for the guy. He's flawed. He's not perfect. He's an alcoholic, or he's just, you know, he's he's dealing with mental disorder issues, or or in the case of Red Dawn, he's locked up by the Soviets, yeah. you know. But he's just this great dad, and I always, as a kid, my, you know, I was raised by a single mother, and so he, I saw him as like a cinematic father, you know, that he he was flawed, but he loved me no matter what, and so Harry Dean was that guy, you know, and uh, I, I found out he really was that guy in real life, you know. My brother did a signing with him in L.A. My brother works at Book Soup in Hollywood, and and they would do signings with these guys when they have books come out, and they, he did one with Harry Dean before he passed away, and he said that. Harry Dean uh, saw the line outside and was like, oh, I have, to see, I have to meet my fans. And he goes, he grabs a little stool, pulls a harmonica out of his pocket, and goes out and sits on the sidewalk and starts singing and playing his harmonica for the nice. people waiting to see him. Nice. Like, that's a genuine dude. Like, that's a guy, we, as music people, we can get behind a guy yeah. like that. Plus, it's like some him time. It's like, let me just walk out of this weird room and just do something <laughs> I'm way more comfortable doing. Yeah, let's face it. He was performing. <laughs> he was probably more used to that. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I saw in a couple of interviews with him in, in the past that he kind of like, he'll like lean, he kind of, he'll like lean into that when he like kind of gives up on like the interview part. Right, so, right, yeah, right. Uh, Legend. And this Rock. was kind of the first big break for Emilio Estevez. Uh, you know, he's done little things here and there at this point. But I think this was the first time we all saw him and was like, oh, this is uh, this is Martin Sheen's kid. Didn't keep the name. Took you know kept the real family name. Yeah. And then we you know Charlie shows up around that same time, and we're like, oh, these guys are brothers with different names. Okay. So um, it's very. I'm still very confused. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one seems kind of nice, the other kind of douchey. I, I mean, know. they they seem. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they seem like they seem. This is kind of the beginning of the run, though, for Emilio, because you know after this he goes and does. That was '84, and then it was I think '85. '85 is St. Elmo's Hot Fire, and, and the Brat Pack is a thing. Club and, and all yeah, that. And yeah, at that point it's on. Oh, Breakfast Club is '84 also. So around this time he drops Repo Man and Breakfast Club at the same time. St. Elmo's Fire after that, and then boom, it's on, and we're doing Young Guns young and guns. all the other shit. Yeah, Mr. Mighty Duck, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ducks. Oh, and then he became the coach of the Mighty Ducks. He's yeah. Mr. Ducks, yeah. So yeah, Emilio, uh, this was kind of at the beginning of it. It's pretty cool to see him right there at the at the beginning of it all. Um, He's pretty legit. He he nails Otto. Yeah, I yeah. would say. <laughs> yeah, and it was supposed to be Dick Rude, the guy that's Duke. Yeah, I guess uh, he did. He write the story for the movie. He he did something like initially. Yeah, and was like excited to be it. the uh, main character, and then they were like, "Yeah, well, we're yeah, gonna, we got Martin Sheen's kids, yeah. so we're gonna yeah. call we're gonna call in a rigger here." You're gonna be here. Duke. Yeah, you get to be Duke. You get to the, be Duke now. The guy who gets shot in the chest in the liquor store at the end. Yeah, the guy who played Archie. I mean, that guy's been in a bunch of stuff. Miguel Sandoval's yeah. still around. I couldn't believe 
that that I was like, whoa, that blew my mind when I when I found that out. Yeah, he, he was, was the, just in Barry. He's yeah, Fernando and Barry. Yeah, he's a great Archie that talks like this. Yeah, King Archie. King Archie. <laughs> I wanted somebody to do that so bad. That's great. <laughs> what about the security guard in the liquor store? Luis Contreras. Yeah, yeah he's been in name. a bunch he's of been things in some too. Stuff. Yeah. Um, the uh, Tracy Walter. We really got to focus on him because he's he might be the most important character in the movie. As much as we love Bud uh, and Otto. Yeah, he's the one that's dropping, kicking knowledge whenever they're just hanging Absolutely. out at the lot. He's the one that says the prey to shrimp line. The scene under the bridge with the oil can, whatever trash mm -hmm. can burning. And yeah. he talking drops, about the lattice of coincidence? He, yeah, the, the, and yes. the whole plate. The lattice shrimp, of coincidence, the plate of the shrimp. No. Like, what the well, hell? Well, then he even says it. He no says, point in looking for one either. That's uh, my favorite part of that whole thing. He even thing. says it, that it's a, a spaceship, it's a time machine. He yeah. even has that mm -hmm. line where he says that. Well, that's prophetic because that's how the movie ends. Spaceships are time machines. Yeah. And th that wasn't the original ending, but I bet I guess they just, um, I guess they, they ended uh, they ended up uh, kind of putting him in, in, I mean, he gets in the car and takes off. So he ends up being... I don't know. Is he the is alien that he, the people are searching for the whole the holy time? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the question right there. That's what I was going to hit yeah. you with next. Is he an alien? Is he the alien that these, because these people are looking for an alien. They think they found an alien. They think it's the car. It's not the car. Well, they also think J. Frank Parnell is at the end, possibly an alien. That's true. Maybe because of just I the think, radiation. Yeah. I think he's a lab scientist that stole it in Los Alamos, mm -hmm. found out the truth, and that's the opening credits. We see Los Alamos is the first thing we yeah, see. And they're going and down it, Route 66. Yep, every time the camera resets, it's a map, and it's a, they're just going right From up Route 66. From New Mexico 66. to, to uh, Los Stone Angeles. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. so everybody think you know, there is a theory that he is an alien. I don't necessarily think so because he dies of radiation poison eventually. I think yeah. he's a lab guy. He, like, tries to sneak this thing out of the lab. Yes. For whatever reason. Yes. Now. Good or bad. Miller, Tracy Walter... I do subscribe to the theory that he is an alien. Um, oh, yeah. And for and here's here's one big reason why. There's when they're at the the bar uh, near the end and they're having the drinks and all their wives are there and everything. Um, there's a shot where he tries to use the camera and he takes a picture of himself uh -huh. instead of taking a picture of them. He like doesn't he know doesn't how to, under, like he doesn't he know how to use, the, how to use the camera. Well, he doesn't drive either. Is there's a scene in that? What is he that? He makes a big deal about not driving. Driving makes you stupid or yep. whatever he said. I think that just reminded me there's a scene in like Encino Man where I think is is it Encino Man where he does the same thing and takes a photo of himself, <laughs> flashes it around him. It's like the same scene. He just seems so pure of thought. He seems yeah. like the most pure individual in the whole He's thing. He's cutting his hair. That's the wisps of hair that he has just blindly. But right. that scene, I mean, that scene alone by the under the bridge with Otto just dropping knowledge. Yeah. What the Yeah, hell? he drops knowledge the entire time. Keeps yeah. us cool. It's the focal moment of the film as far as the message. It's like they're basically saying, hey, this is, you know, message. This is the moment. This is really what's going on. You should really pay attention. Yeah. He's got a beer name just like all the other guys. Bud Miller Light. <laughs> and the other guy's name is Ollie, so I'm assuming that's short for Olympia. Olympia, I'm sure <laughs> it is. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, so they all have they're beer all names. They're all names, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I, yeah. I didn't get yeah, that. One, light. Right? Yeah. So you mentioned light. Um it's it's spelled L I T E too, yeah. just like Miller Light, which I thought yeah. was a, that's a nice touch. So that I thought that was one thing that was cool also as a fan of black cinema from the seventies growing up. Um you kind of have three people here who are really well known in black cinema. Cy Richardson's one of them. Um, he was in like Colors and uh Rudy Moore's uh Petey Wheatstraw and stuff like that. Um you also had Helen Martin, who is uh, Mrs. Park. She's the old lady that he goes to repo a car, and then the Untouchables show up. Yeah. And uh, she was in just yes. everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, if there was a black show in the 70s and 80s, she was in it. I yeah. mean, she oh, just... Yeah, yeah. And, and she was in Don't Be a Menace in the she 90s. She was in every woman, like Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, she's... Is in every man. Yeah, absolutely. Helen Martin's <laughs> fantastic. And then, and then the one I really love is Marlene, that works in the repo shop with him. That's Vanetta yes. McGee. And she's she is royalty. I mean, she was in Blackula, Hammer, Detroit 9000, Shaft in Africa. Like she was just in this murderer's row of films in the 70s that were like big deals in the black community. And so she pops up here. And she's got a pretty interesting character because she's kind of playing both sides of the fence. Because she works for them in the lot. Yeah, but is she related to the brothers? But then she's also with the brothers who are their nemesis. Yeah. So. So is she like their sister? I couldn't figure like, that. Or dating one of the brothers. Or does she work for the 
The she's government an alien side, too. She's playing both sides. I, I, yeah. Because at one point, it almost seems like that, like later on in the movie. Well, so there was this whole plot where the original ending was, and she factored into that, was that her and the Rodriguez brothers were running guns to Central America, and Otto was going to take the car and go to Central America and threaten the United States or whatever with it. That's where people disappear to. Yeah. Yes. And so that was, I think, <laughs> the ending that he was shooting for. But as they were going along, they were like, you know, this ending isn't going to work. Like, we need to come up with something else. And I think that's why we got what we got, which is way better. Because yeah. the other one wouldn't have made a lot of sense. Like, I mean, I don't know how much sense. The, <laughs> <laughs> the special effects it doesn't on really that need scene to. I were love amazing, it. too. Just the day-glow uh, neon car. They painted and, yeah. the car yeah. with this fluorescent paint that cost a yep. lot of money. But yeah, to get it, to, and then they used whatever on their lenses it's to like make it look. Like what they did in Tron, I think they used a similar kind of paint. Right. They did like a couple of different effects because the one time he's driving down the freeway and you can see it's like a green light inside of the car and that's it. And then there's another time he's driving down the freeway. Maybe it's because it's supposed to be getting brighter. I guess is the the right. the, the, the thing. So later on they show it, uh, and it's they definitely did it to the film. They yeah. had to like. Uh, colorize colorize the film yeah. it's well, like a glow around it it's very definitely cheesy. when it's whipping through the parking garage near the end yeah, yeah there's yeah. a special kind that's of glow what it is. On that's it, what that it is yeah, yeah that's like oof <laughs> yeah that, i love that that was very early but 80s practical on that effects. One. however they did things before cgi i'm all about it yeah scratch the film to do make an effect Okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna do some lines because there's no way we cannot do there's some so lines, lines for Repo Man. There's so many lines. So I wrote down a handful of my favorites. What? Wh which lines? Are, I mean, this is so quotable. Well, okay, I, I did write a few, but I, I love when he goes, "Lobotomies aren't those for loonies?" And he goes, "Not at all." And it's just like he's just so proud of it. It's so Jay funny. Frank Cardell. My friend had a, a lobotomy, and then he says, "Uh." uh kind of car does your friend drive? Yeah. I, I don't know why that line always kills me. It's like very simply delivered. You realize he's talking funny. about himself. And he's though. like, a Chevy Malibu. And he's like, maybe I should drive. <laughs> uh, I mean, for simplicity, let's get sushi and not pay. Right? Yeah. Well, it, well, the first line is, Duke, let's do some crimes. Yes. Yeah, let's get some sushi and not pay. I'm sure <laughs> that's got to be a tattoo that many people have. Yeah, both I, of those uh, lines could, are great. If I was a tattoo guy, that would have been on me. Yeah. Like, yeah, they stand alone day and one. together. Day one. I mean, that whole the, any that like I said, my favorite scene by the by the fire pit, just talking about the plate of shrimp and 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 plate and shrimp. I mean, that is that's life right there. When you think about your world around you and the random things that happen, and we all have that happen. Like, what the hell is that? I was thirteen. It's, I was very. I was impressed. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> my favorite line is the uh, right there at the end when. Uh, his girl says to him, what about our relationship? And he's like, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> he's got an alien. What about relationship? Yeah. yeah. He's got an alien in a spaceship, you know, motioning to him to come jump in the ride. And this girl's talking about their relationship. And remember, he was on the shock uh, table and she was the one turning the button. Right. So like, like, yeah. what the hell was that? that? Like, much why about is she... me. Why is she in control of that with the CIA? Yeah, Lila was twisted, her role that, was suspect is, is a bit too. Is that supposed too. to be like, yeah, she's like a little spy? Yeah. So if I'm him and she's saying that to me, I'm like, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. I'm yeah. Go I wonder how the she, galaxy. I, it's very questionable how she got that job at the United Fruitcake Outlet. Yeah. <laughs> that building in LA should just have that sign outside all the Permanently. time. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, I, yeah. Right. LA in general should just have more of that. Yeah. Dude, um, I got, it's funny here. I got five more and they're all bud. This is when he says, when he talks about ordinary, ordinary <laughs> fucking people. Look at these assholes. Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. Avoid tense situations. Ordinary fucking people avoid tense situations. People men spend their life getting into tense situations. <laughs> that is a, a quote. He's, that so is good. a quote from the guy that, uh, uh, Cox had shadowed for the movie right. to get more like Repo Man knowledge. He like, like yeah, he, he shadowed, like shadowed Repo Man. Yeah. This guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, sadly. But yeah, that was a quote that he had said. A few of the lines that he delivered yeah. were quotes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, free my ass. What are you, a fucking commie? Huh? And then Emilio comes back, no, I'm not a commie. Well, you ain't better not be. I don't want no commies in my car. No Christians either. Yeah, no, no Christians, Christians neither. Either. <laughs> that, I love the end of that. No Christians either. It's so good. So Harry Dean Stanton, too. Very just, well delivered. And then just when he's standing outside the car shouting, he's like, you goddamn dipshit Rodriguez gypsy dildo punks. I'll get your ass. He says gypsy dildos a few times in that movie, <laughs> and that is 
It gets me every time. Harry so Dean good. is just on a burn in that movie. Like yeah. <laughs> they say, he was hard to work with, but you know that's one of those things where you, like you, you see the proof and you're like, well, whatever his process needs to be. The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. I like that line. Yeah, Miller. Miller. Yeah. But then at the end, he knows how to fly the. Look the at Malibu. those assholes! Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. Well, that's why he. <laughs> might- how much do they owe? If there's only a way to find out how much they owe, that's that's when he like loses his. Well, also when he meets his girl, she's like, "Oh, you repo cars," and he's like, "Yeah, I take back cars from dildos who don't pay their bills." <laughs> the lights are growing dim. I know a life of crime has led me to this sorry fate, and yet I blame society. Society made me what I am. It was that's Duke- bullshit. You're a white suburban punk just like me. Yeah. But it still hurts. It was Duke Shakespeare moment. It was so his Shakespeare moment. In dying. It, it happens sometimes. People just explode. Natural causes. Natural, <laughs> natural causes and just shuts the door on them. The life of a repo man is always intense. They say that a few times. The movie ends with that line, too. Miller says it. Fuck that. <laughs> Uh, and Otto, so as the movie goes on, when we meet him at the beginning, you know, he's he's obviously a punk and he kind of looks the part and he's got the earring and so on. And as the movie goes on, he gets more. Yeah, when he shows up at the hospital, he's wearing like, I don't know what the word is, but it's like so lame. Yeah. <laughs> it's he's like just, striped and like he's straight up gumshoe, like, like, you know, a couple buttons, like yeah. soft collar. I mean, it's it's tucked in. It's yeah. like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah. And it's tucked in when he's rolling with light, mm-hmm. and light takes out the gun and fires the blanks into the house. And when he's wearing the lady's glasses, the though, driving down, that's great. Get I love in the car. I love when he screams, "Get in the car!" <laughs> get in the car, why, boy? I'm like, he's, he's trying to get in the car, but that door's locked. Oh, he's trying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And just even even when they meet at the beginning, when Harry rolls up on him, you know, I got to get my car out of this neighborhood, my wife's car. You yeah, know? <laughs> fully fooled him. It's all right. Or when they're doing a, meth, when they, they're saying? doing meth or cocaine in the car. What were they consuming? Can you imagine? Oh, I'm yeah. surprised the little baggie didn't have like a little faux generic label. Right. Well, that's where he brings up how do you go home at 3 a.m. and get back out at 4. Yeah. And he's like, well, we do a lot of speed. Then yeah. slam, speed, huh? Yeah, it cuts to the next scene and they're doing lines in the car <laughs> like straight away. That, uh, that was like, Harry, I guess that was Harry Deed Stanton's idea to like try to get a lot of different like monologues from him into one scene it's like well here we go we're just gonna do it like this because that's might as well if you're doing speed just start that's what he drops the repo code yeah exactly that's what alex cox said because that was a bunch of things that they ended up perfecting harry dean Stanton did yeah into that that thing but it was like gonna be maybe multiple scenes or something but he nailed it like the whole message was placed in that that moment and then the ending. So we got the ending. So is there any special symbolism of that big ending? Or there's no holy mountain ascending, but no. What's so crazy? Because, you know, you, suburbia and, and Repo Man are, are cut from the same cloth in many ways. But, you know, ultimately Repo Man's a science fiction film with this ending and the whole basis of the storyline. So and, many genres. I don't know. Right. Probably closer tied to Oppenheimer uh, in many ways because of what's going on. But, um, I don't know. There's a message there. It, they definitely represent what what we would consider punk at the time in a way that wasn't like embarrassing to watch. And yeah, and yeah, like that's and then just the lines, true. how the lines have uh, permeated culture, punk rock culture over the years. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's, well, they it's, they even have the helicopter flying and land, and the rabbi gets out, and the priest gets out, and they're gonna do their exorcism <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. and then the Bible catches on fire, yeah. and. And the rabbi is Mike Nesmith. Yeah, he's, you know, that's, that's his, right. that's that's his right. moment. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I, like I said, I love that line, fuck that. And then Otto j- goes over and jumps in the car. And then the car starts levitating and it flies yeah. off, flies around LA. And then we. And that does that cool little Star Wars effect or whatever yeah. at the end where they, they're going there's into still, hyperspace. There's still a bomb in the trunk, but, or alien bodies. I guess those were condoms with hula skirts wrapped yeah. around them. That's yeah. what I read. Grass skirts and, and, and filled condoms. That's what the alien, the photo of the aliens yeah, was. Yeah, they like show oh, like a photo of it. Image. And then later on, it's like on like the on cover the paper, of, the, yeah, of the, paper, yeah, the paper. But yeah. it's like, yeah, it's two condoms that are like filled with water with like uh, grass skirts. <laughs> and I love that that's the World Weekly uh, News, which at the time, no one took that shit serious. That was Bat Boy shit. Yeah. yeah. But here it is. They've got this story about this alien. And it's actually true. The World Weekly News for once actually had the right story. They're still talking about that bat boy. I mean, you know, (laughs) so 
I don't know. Is it? Is it? Could it be? How could it be fake? Twenty years later. That's what I mean. They he's a grown you. man. He's a bat. <laughs> he's man. a bat man. He's a bat man now. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. a bat time. People treat him that way. Super fun film to watch and rewatch, and you know the music obviously is so connected to what we love. And yeah, it's the fun acting all is over. fun. You know, the acting's obviously a lot better than the kind of um, static, uh, little stiff on the suburbia side, but still, just man, both those movies like. You, you couldn't talk about two movies at the time that, that were groundbreaking and representing a scene in a culture a little bit. I mean, you think of all the other things she was a part of, too, with the, the you know with Penelope and her doc, documentary film uh, covering punk and, and metal. But, man, it's just cool to see that. You know, we were, we were so hungry for that in the beginning of the 80s when alternative new wave, all those things were happening, but it just was never represented well. On TV or in film, and well, there was no probably, internet, so there was yeah. not a level playing ground like yeah. there is now. Like we, this world was just like Star Wars to me. Watching this in Kansas, I didn't. Yeah, this didn't look like anything I knew, and yeah. so that's why I was so attracted to it as a kid. Like anything that's different is great. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but it's, it's like science fiction and punk rock, and like it's, it has all these levels. So and it's so weird. It's like this is everything I needed when I was yeah. And both of seeing the city, just getting to see, you know. I love that. Like, number one, getting to revisit these places ourselves, but like seeing a time and a place, you know, it's definitely kind of a little uh, time capsule to to something, you know? Oh, absolutely. If you want to revisit and remember maybe a time of your youth, that film is probably one of of the best. And it definitely ages better than Suburbia. I mean, there's there's some moments that are like, you know, like he shows up to her work and like demands like sexual Sure, drops his pants. Treats, like, that's a little yeah, but much. nobody's getting called. But that's uh, not nearly as bad as, like, half of the things that's so perfect. Oh, my God. You've got, <laughs> that's what makes it also, I mean, the real the realism, you know? You got yeah, multiple, absolutely. Multiple child homicide in uh, suburbia, so, yeah. yeah, that's a tough one. It was a good, like, uh, you know, it was good to navigate to, like, as I was, like, a teenager, getting into, like, different scenes, like, one, that yeah. I could find and everything. Yeah. It was uh, somewhat of a good tool to navigate with. To, well, for me, I Things mean, to stay away from. I'm just bummed that the Untouchables are not on the soundtrack because they're members of the band are featured in the film. They're the Scooter Gang coming home to their mom who then have to beat up Otto because he tries to steal the, the vehicle anyway that's up on blocks. But that is super cool. As, as my scene in culture, that was my world, those dudes on the scooter. Oh, and that cool. band, the Untouchables, yeah. was like my Tell band. Tell me about them. What, and, what was up with those guys? I mean, you know, I was such a big two-tone fan. This is before you know all the British ska bands. You, you don't have the third wave of ska that became so prominent here in the States. So there were only a few bands and untouchables were like the premier Los Angeles ska band. We would go see them any, anytime and everywhere. I mean, huge influence on, on no doubt. And, and bands like that, there were a bunch of fun ska bands before the third wave. And by that time I was already, I was out of that scene and culture. But for me, I got, I'm, the scooter club that I belong to, we were the first scooter club in North America, technically, Secret Society Scooter Club, and we're celebrating 40 years with a show here at the Casbah on September 2nd. We tried to get, there are two legendary ska bands from San Diego that we tried to get uh, to reunite. One of them uh, was called Donkey Show, and couldn't make it happen. So we don't have any ska bands. We actually probably should have tried the Untouchables, but I think maybe we would have been priced out. But anyway, <laughs> great that they're in the film. They're great still that the, the Vespas are featured in there. Yeah, several members have died. Um, I think there may be like two original members. The, the the large man, the largest one sitting right next to Otto in the in that scene that's just smiling, he, he fronts the band. Oh. Okay. But yeah, they still do some touring. And just fun to see. You know, that was me and my friends on uh, on scooters. And it was such a great culture because, you know, the untouchables are like fishbone. They're they're all black dudes. For the most part you know so that was such a cool thing to be a part of that scene and culture um for us you know for me and my friends meanwhile while the nazi skinhead thing was also happening as a thing you know like just weird weird times you know glad most of those guys are not around anymore yeah but yeah long live Things the untouchables great band to check out. out but yeah i don't understand why they didn't get some music featured Anywhere. Should have yeah. had one song. Yeah, something. Yeah, the one band that was in the movie that wasn't yeah, involved. I, yeah, yeah, something. But good times. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Mikey Jury, thank you so much for uh, getting us to, to do this, for me to rewatch it. Thanks for um, having me. Definitely a film I've seen many times. And uh, um, unlike 
the only film so far I haven't rewatched um, based on us doing this podcast or watched for the first time, like The Holy Mountain, was uh, The Wizard of Oz, because I've seen that probably a, over a thousand times. Yeah. But this one is a, a good one. I don't think I've seen it that many times, uh, quite that many times. But anyway, we're stoked to have you here. We're stoked what you do for San Diego Music. Our friendship begins Thank many you. years ago. Many, many. Um, just super excited with your relationship with the Desert Days people and what you've done on your own here with the freak out and how you've elevated psychedelic music in San Diego. Because when we were getting turned on to the Black Angels in the beginning, there was not a, a scene happening like there is now. And man, you just elevated it. And I'm so stoked because I feel like I've also helped a little bit with your relationship with Desert Days yeah. and the people behind that because that's a family you belong to, you know, in and being a part of. And so. Thank it was, you. It was great to do this last freak out, the 10 year anniversary yeah. with Desert Days yep. and here at the Casbah. Yeah. And like, yeah, it was kind of like an all in. It felt good to, to do that. And then two nights, both nights being yeah. total successes was uh, amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait to see what Desert Days is going to do next. And uh, it, and I don't know what we're going to do next, but I'm, I'm excited. That was that felt really good to do. You know, a big, big yeah. thing, yeah. Well, after this is, 10 years and, and working at it. I yeah, mean, where I mean, were the first freakouts? So were they here? thankful to be able to do that. But all of the freakouts? The first well, one was here. Yeah. And then there was a couple that I was, I was trying to do things because originally we didn't really have like an idea of what it was going to be. Yeah. It was more of like a San Diego Freakout Presents sure. kind of thing. And then, it, then I think it was like three years later, we had done one here where we had seven bands. So it was like four in the main room and three back here, yeah. which is just... You know, I mean, I can see people back here like nobody wants to work that night. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But Great, and I did a lot. I did a lot. I helped out a lot. Like Tejan and I would be yeah. like roadying like the bands back and forth. Yep. And that was a little bit too much. But this year doing four bands each night just felt so good. And I, I didn't have to play till the second night. So once we set everything up and decorated the place, yeah. I actually got to hang out, which was nice. the biggest joy like yeah. you know what i mean like to like finally get to and enjoy a freak out be the ambassador like, that yeah. you should be it's like a party that i've wanted to throw that i would want to go to yeah. but i never necessarily get to enjoy the fruits of that because i'm busy yeah yeah um so this year was really nice both nights i mean i got to i got to enjoy myself but i got to just watch everybody having a blast like to see like the opening acts have like almost a full room already yeah early in the night and then just just getting explosive from there I mean, it was so awesome it was so is there another freak out coming we have nothing planned but i mean this was just last month so gotcha desert uh, days is taking the the year off but they yeah. are doing uh localized los angeles yeah they're doing like a, a whole bunch of shows bunch. are you going to be a part of any of those i don't know yeah i think so okay um i i know they they talked about it but i it seems like even right now they're still kind of maybe getting things together but, yeah, yeah. but uh I was bummed but maybe they... soon we'll know they should have had a couple shows down here down as here. part of the Desert Days. Andrew family. and I are always trying to tell, or yeah. like you know, uh, suggest that. Yeah. You know. Well, the, um, the the fact you guys did the freak out together that's amazing, and yeah, that's a that you're in that family now, and that's amazing it, for it, Southern California. It is awesome. I'm glad that people really respond to it. the name. Is I think somehow even people respond to the name, maybe even more than like how much work I put into it because. Like even the first one we did, like like it was like weird. People were coming up to me like while I was performing and like touching my stuff, and we had to kick people out. And there wasn't yeah. even like a big attendance the first year, but it was weird. Like people yeah. got weird. So I feel like the name San Diego Freakout is like a, it's like almost telling people what to do. Oh, you know, it's like out. suggestion more than it's it is like an that event scene name. In the Holy Mountain, that bar they go to reminds me a little bit about like what a freakout is actually. One day, when if Tim lets me paint the entire place from <laughs> tip to tail, we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, new music from uh, the band? Yeah, we are now currently in the studio. We're over at uh, Earthling, working with Mike Camus, oh, nice. which has been amazing. Yeah. Um, I love Mike Camus, and I haven't worked with him in like a decade, because once we started doing Wild Wild Wet stuff, we started kind of working with other people, like uh, friends up in L.A. Yeah. And, and everything like that, just trying Camus's other the man. friends' avenues. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really happen. nice to finally go back and uh work with him again and we are we have de we are definitely and i mean i guess anybody in any artistic way should hopefully be saying this about their work but this is the, definitely the best work i've heard that about blink done. 182 we've never, we've never yeah that's what they're saying about their work <laughs> yeah. that's what i'm saying about my work it's definitely yeah this is the best stuff we've ever done i mean we have jason crane nice and dave mead now doing the percussion okay and uh albert uh uh sanchez on bass so yep. the rhythm section is 
we have a rhythm section. Like the nice. last few records, Tayshawn did the guitar and bass. Okay. You know, and uh, so now it's like we actually have a real rhythm section, like live breathing thing, and it, it the uh, feels good. It feels really good. And Mike is getting like the best out of us. Yeah, you know, I think we got a little spoiled working at like certain. I don't know. Not, I don't yeah. know. If it's spoiled, but like technology can spoil you. Yeah. And And uh, sometimes you can just do like a scratch take and be like done with it. Yeah. But Mike, like, like he's like no all together. No, it's uh -huh. it's digital, but it's. It's, it feels it. He gets that. He gets you to feel that way. And like nice. what he's getting from us is like so much more livelier than yeah. uh, some of the things that we've done. In, like some of the things that we've done cool. in the past. So, yeah, we're, that's half the it's battle is somebody it's brings awesome. something out of you, you know, that you've yeah. never done or been before. So now we're just getting to the point where we can start like inviting some other friends in and see what they can bring I play to a mean... Table. Nothing. You know about Triangle. the oboe? You that got an oboe skills? Uh, yeah, oboe. Oboe, you didn't. Flute. Are you, uh, did, did you, sorry, did, did the head turn there. Did you, um, did you meet Noel Gallagher yourself? Mm -mm. No. I did not because I was in between the freakout nights here. Oh, so gotcha. I wasn't asked to come into work. Seton, however. You're lucky. From Well, Well, Well. Well, I think you even talked yes, about this. Talked about yeah, it, yeah, he he actually, I don't think he brought this up. He had played the freak out the night before that. So he was here all night Friday and then woke up whatever time he needed to be at the Bluefoot the next morning to be there uh, for yeah, we all were there of that. You were there too. We were there like eight. Did you meet him, Noel? Or? Oh yeah, I had to take him he, from the car. He did, yeah. uh, I like, did yeah. take him in and out. No photo? No. Strong didn't tell him about our podcast? Dude, seriously. Now that, you're, now that you're a personality, you have to get photos. Dude, yeah. seriously, so 20 <laughs> years of doing this, I can count on one hand the number of people I've taken photos with. I almost never request it. I did it for Chuck D because he's a hero of mine. But there's precious. Was that few. at the office? Uh, when you did that? No, it was oh, at okay. House of Blues downtown oh, okay. when I worked there. I really should because have that show was to... incredible. I don't know who was doing oh, the security uh, for him that night, but I mean, he needed a lot not of it. Keanu, that was nuts. You never did Keanu. No, um, wow. Dave Lombardo when he was here yeah, with yeah. the first Dead Cross show that yeah. very first night. I got a picture with Dave because I was a Slayer fan growing yeah. up. Um, that's. That's probably it as far as at work. I mean, I've got pictures with like Brian May and Rakim and some people like that up in L.A. when I ran into yeah. them. But I knew they were going to be somewhere. But this is at work. Like I must work, embarrass you. Yeah, yeah, my photos. <laughs> yeah it's, it's a professional thing. I don't well, feel like I should. That I understand completely. You've built that clout now that you can now maybe ask them to yeah. the pod do the podcast. Yeah, yeah there you go. You know what? I'll tell you, though, the Noel Gallagher <laughs> thing. Just You know what's better than a picture? Just getting to stand next by while that crowd sung Wonderwall to him. After Manchester City won that Premier League uh, or the Champions League yeah, title, yeah, just hearing them sing "Don't Look Back in Anger" and uh, "Wonderwall" to him, sure. and he, he's there and he's smiling, and I thought he, you know, because he has a temperamental reputation, I thought he might be a jerk, but yeah. he was he actually took it all really in. enjoyed he really did. it. He was filming it. He you says could tell. some snarky stuff, but he's funny. Yeah, he's just you could funny. tell he genuinely, not like his brother. <laughs> he genuinely enjoyed that with the crowd. Yeah. I mean, singing your own songs back to you—that's got to feel like the best feeling ever. I mean, so to just to get to stand right next to him while the crowd did that to him, that was pretty cool. I, I got that memory, and that's better than any photo. I mean, really, it okay. is. Seven, I'm not embarrassed. I will after 17 years of working at there, I don't think I've ever seen anything necessarily like that. Like that, right. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen anybody years. get strong-armed out of there, in, in, into there. I've never seen anybody get strong-armed into the bar <laughs> in 17 years. So that's one thing. But, yeah, like, uh, that, was, that was a huge deal. That was really cool. The Bluefoot's been there 17 years? 17 plus, man. What was it and before? And I've been there the, the whole time. What was it before? Was it Wolves? Yes. It was actually it was Rebar, Rebar, technically, yeah. right before. But that was and only like Wolves. maybe a year. Wasn't Rob Halford involved with... I think the, he was involved with Rebar. Rebar, And maybe yeah. that's why... I don't know if that's why... Yeah. I'm not going to say that about him. Wolves was I don't the best know, in the... It, he had gotten through. into it when it wasn't Wolves. It was Rebar for maybe only a year. Yeah, yeah. I lived like a block and a half away from that when that was up. That's how I got the job. Nice. At Bluefoot. I was like, well, was they had mystery. blown out windows. And I was yeah. like, hey, well, can I work here? And they were like, I mean, you knew, yes. but like, you know, come on, driving by. What is that place with a just big, you know, when I was 16, first getting up into that neighborhood, I didn't know what the hell that Did place was. Did they have was. the wolves painted on the side? They had of it? a wolf like on by the door. In the, in, like, again, that was the door. It, there was no real sign. Well, and the, those of us that work there, we know that in the concrete out front, yeah. there's a dick imprint. <laughs> somebody just couldn't somebody, help themselves. Somebody just dropped it right in the wet cement. It's there. You can see it. Like, <laughs> oh man, like it that's was, something that should be noted in San Diego. It was $240 worth of Just dropped it is. right in there. Who is that? Oh man. Well, yeah, isn't there some, wouldn't there some secret spaces inside there when yeah. you remodeled the it? The whole place was a secret space. <laughs> but they had, which I guess, well, yeah, so they had more secrets. Yeah, got to have your nooks. 
Yeah, that was a different time For in San all Diego. The like, it wasn't the gentrified, cool hip. I don't think it was even called South Park yet at that point. They had like marketed it, was, it as uh, South Park, South North Park. Yeah, but thank you. I think we should probably end this. We've had so much fun. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you guys for having me. Talked about the band, talked about the freak out, talked about the movie. Wild Wild Wets was the band I was talking about the entire time that I was talking about the band. Uh, Yeah, but they're going to know because that information Um, will be listed. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a lot more once the record comes out and everything. So we're, we're excited right now. Website. Can't wait to get more. Where do you want to send them? You know, uh, we just have all of our music is available on all of the stuff. So uh, our to purchase on our Bandcamp page and uh, to listen everywhere you listen to music, it's there. And uh, the San Diego Freakout, we're going to be doing things all the time. We're, we have like the San Diego Freakout Presents. Andrew and I are DJing constantly, like every other week, it seems like. A lot going on in San Diego. Well, thank you, Mikey Turi. There is a lot going on. I'm glad more your health more. is good and your back feels good. Today? Good. Good. Today's right. a good day. Yeah. Well, thanks for being part of Soundcheck Flex. Graham? Thanks for having me. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Hey, SCF lovers. Next week, we head to the planet of Mongo with Flash Gordon. Join us then to see who our special guest is.